Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm really thrilled you're listening. Today we have the privilege of having Dr. Doug Groteis on the show. Dr. Groteis is a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary and an authority on numerous topics, including the New Age, apologetics, philosophy, and ethics. His books include Christianity That Counts, Confronting the New Age, Deceived by the Light, On Jesus, On Pascal, Revealing the New Age Jesus, The Soul in Cyberspace, Truth Decay, Unmasking the New Age, In Defense of Natural Theology, Jesus in an Age of Controversy, and Christian Apologetics. Welcome, Dr. Groteis. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a professor of philosophy. I've been at Denver Seminary since 1993. I teach classes in apologetics, philosophy, ethics, social issues, things like that. I'm an author, and my primary mission in life is to try to make the truth of Christianity known and knowable to people through writing, lecturing, preaching, any format I can find. Excellent. Well, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Would you please tell us a little bit about what the New Age is? Well, it's not one organization uh, like the Republican Party or the Kiwanis Club. It's really a cluster of people and groups that focus on certain claims of a worldview. So we might be talking about Oprah Winfrey, for example. She Mm -hmm. has posted many people with the New Age worldview. And the basic worldview is that everything is spiritual, everything is really divine, and we are one with this great universal divinity, or sometimes called universal consciousness or world soul or something to that effect. So all the answers are within ourselves. We don't have to look to a God beyond and outside us and above us We simply tap into our own human potential, which is, in fact, divine potential. And we do that through things like yoga, meditation, visualization, mind-altering techniques. And if we do that, we can have mystical experiences of this great universal oneness and then transcend the limits of being a material, finite, individual person. Now, on one level, that sounds very unappealing because you hear so much about what I just said, human potential. But the ultimate goal of this worldview is to transcend the personal entirely, to reach what some people call at-one-ment, not to be confused with the biblical idea of atonement, but we can supposedly discover oneness or unity with this impersonal, amoral something, which is beyond names and forms and so on. But what hooks people, especially in the West and in the United States, is the claim that we have everything we need within ourselves. So we, in fact, don't have to worship or obey God. That's viewed as very disempowering or humiliating, but rather if we use the right meditation or the right technique or spiritual technology, you might say, you can find everything you need within yourself, 
Now, this is represented in culture in a lot of different ways. It could be very overt. You could go to the New Age section of a bookstore or Amazon online and find all kinds of books about finding your inner self, your higher self, your true self, or maybe finding spirit guides, transcendent, ascended masters who can help you along the way, or you could find books about reincarnation and karma, uh, because the claim is that if you don't find that universal oneness within yourself in this life, you'll have other opportunities in other lifetimes. Thus, it can be very overt, but it can also be subtle. And sometimes Christians are deceived about these sorts of things because uh, people who have this, this new age or new spirituality, as it's sometimes called, worldview, will use the same kind of language that Christians will. They'll talk about God, the soul, spirituality, even Christ, but they redefine the meaning of all those terms. They don't define and understand those terms biblically. They give them a very different meaning. So, for example, back to Oprah Winfrey, she was raised a Christian, and she uses Christian language, but uh, the guests that she has on, such as Deepak Chopra and Gary Zukoff and others, uh, do not have a Christian biblical worldview at all. So when they say God, they mean this universal, faceless consciousness or principle. They don't mean a personal moral God who created and designed and and who sustains the universe and who has been revealed in Christ for our liberation and forgiveness. So these new ideas are really very well integrated into our culture. When I was doing a lot of writing on this, Back in the 80s and early 90s, the New Age was more of a event. It was in the headlines. Uh, but now it's not so much there simply because it's mainstream. It's not something that evokes a lot of special attention because it's very well assimilated into films. For instance, Avatar, uh, the blockbuster 3D film from 2010, had a lot of these pantheistic ideas that God is everything and that we can fuse or merge or tap into this universal energy. You definitely saw a version of that in that film. Uh, you find it in books. Uh, I've over the years seen it in, in cartoons and in many areas. So it's it can be subtle, but once you understand the basic metaphysics, the basic worldview which is called pantheism, everything is divine, and secondly, monism, everything is one. Once you can discern that and you realize that's not what the Bible teaches, that's not biblical theology, you can be a lot more alert and discerning about such things. Now, to the Christians that are in our audience, it should be clear that as Christ's followers, we look only to his word for inerrant truth, but there are also non-Christians that are in our audience, people that haven't yet started a relationship with Christ. So I think that as I talk with different people, I hear some of these ideas you're talking about coming up quite frequently. What would be some of the problems or fallacies with some of the New Age thinking that's common in our culture and society that a lot of people are buying into? There are a lot of problems with the perspective. Uh, let me just start with the first that I think is very important, and that is somehow that 
Christianity is harmonizable, is amenable to a New Age perspective. So a lot of people will take certain verses from the Bible or certain statements of Jesus and say that this fits in with this idea of a universal consciousness that we can tap into and harness and so on. And if you really read the Bible as it's written and you try to understand what the authors are communicating, you can't reconcile the two. Jesus presented himself as the only incarnation of God. Uh, God so loved the world he gave his one and only son, a famous verse in John 3.16. So when you look at what Christ taught and how he lived and what the entire Bible teaches, it's fundamentally and irreconcilably incompatible with this general New Age worldview that I sketched out. That's very, very important because many people will try to drag Jesus into a pantheon of swamis and gurus and avatars and so on, sages, and say he is one of many mystical masters who showed the way to enlightenment. But in fact, he never presented himself as one of many. Uh, he very famously said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what his apostles taught in Acts 14, 12, or Acts 4, 12, rather. Peter says, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So you can't blend him in with Buddha and Confucius and Lao Tzu and other teachers. He stands out through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Another very important point that I alluded to briefly earlier is that this New Age perspective, for all of its emphasis on developing the human and developing our abilities, is profoundly dehumanizing and impersonal because the God of pantheism is not the great I Am that we find in Scripture. God reveals himself to Moses as the I Am you know, I am who I am, <clears throat> that is a self-reflective agent who communicates truth in a knowable way, the God of the New Age theology is beyond words, beyond form, beyond knowledge. And the personal, the relational, disappears. Because if everything is absolutely one, which is the teaching, everything is divine and everything is one, then by definition and by necessity, relationships are impossible. Uh, there's nothing there to relate to. You simply are absorbed into this universal oneness, or you might say liquidated, so to speak, such that the sense of the self as a small self is absorbed into this universal self, which is not really a self at all. So if you're thinking about questions of meaning, what is the purpose of my life in the world, why am I here, and so on, this perspective of pantheistic monism says there really is no purpose for you as an individual being with other individual beings. That's an illusion. You're operating at a lower level of consciousness. So instead of trying to work for justice in the world and be a more loving 
wise, caring person, what you need to do ultimately is meditate yourself into oblivion so you don't have to come back to this wheel of suffering and pain because this world is just the lower material plane and it needs to be transcended. For instance, in uh, Buddhism, the goal is called nirvana, and nirvana means literally what's left when you blow out a candle. It means being extinguished. So nirvana is not a place or a person or a thing. It's hard to say what the heck it is because the Buddhists talk about it in terms of negation. It's not a person, it's not a place, it's not a thing. Now compare that to the biblical view of salvation and restoration. God himself is a personal, unlimited being who takes interest, a loving concern in the world to the degree that he becomes a human being in Christ and lives a perfect life of love and justice and dies on the cross to atone the sins for the sins of his enemies, is buried, rises again from the dead, and offers salvation for all who will come to him by faith. And then it's not simply that our sins are forgiven, but that we are restored to God. We can live a different kind of life, and the ultimate state is what Revelation 21 and 22 refers to as the new heavens and the new earth, where everything will be purified, restored, and judged, and there will be perfect human flourishing. It's not that the human or the personal is eliminated or somehow reduced. It's that it is given its fullness through the work of God, because God himself is a personal, moral being. He's eternal, and unlimited, and we are certainly temporal and limited, but both God and humans are personal. So on a biblical metaphysic or worldview, the ultimate category of being and explanation and reality is personal, where on the New Age view, the ultimate category of existence is impersonal. So the personality, the, the will, feeling, imagination, all that makes you a person, agency, and so on, has to be, in the final analysis, eliminated. Now, people find that attractive. I don't know what to say, but Mm -hmm. it's really a radically different vision than the biblical vision of salvation and restoration. Absolutely. I'd love to keep talking about the New Age, but I don't want to take your entire afternoon. And I had a few questions that I wanted to ask that deal with apologetics and specifically with the greatest news that this world has ever heard that you just referred to, Christ's payment for our sins and his offer of a relationship with himself free for those that would put their trust in him. And I want to get to that and why we as believers can trust that with confidence. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution here on KDUR. And we're interviewing Dr. Groteis of Denver Seminary. He is a professor of philosophy, a lecturer, a teacher, an author, and a preacher. Thanks again so much, Dr. Groteis, for being on the show with us. And as we transition from the topic of the New Age into apologetics, it's another field that you're an expert in, what evidence do believers have for believing what you just shared? You talked about the problems of the New Age, and then you contrasted that with the hope that the Christian has 
represented in the man Jesus Christ, God who became flesh, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, and offers us eternal life if we will put our trust in him. That's great news. Why should someone listening this morning believe that? They should believe it because there's good reason to believe it, because it actually happened. Christianity is a historical claim. And it's not merely something you read in a book and you either take a leap of faith and believe it or you don't. Uh, The Bible is deeply rooted in history, hundreds and hundreds of years of history. God has revealed himself at various times and various places in Scripture, but that as we know from Scripture and in Scripture, but that has culminated in the person of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 is very clear on that. So if you look, let's say, at the Gospel of John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, it says, He, that is Christ, has made the Father known. So, God is made known in many ways, but supremely through the person and work of Christ, and that's in history. It's not in some mythological realm or some fairy tale, but in space-time actuality. So, we have in the Bible not just one account of the life of Christ, but four accounts in the Gospels. And we also have the record of the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, James, and so on. And there are writers outside of the New Testament who took note of Christ and the early Christian movement, writers like the Jewish historian Josephus and other historians like Tacitus and Suetonius and so on. So we've got good reason to believe that these events occurred because of the internal evidence. These documents are written not long after the events they describe. They can be checked out in terms of what they say about political history, geography, archaeology, and so on. So unlike what many religions claim, particularly the Eastern religions, Christianity says the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God has created the universe, and he has made history the theater of redemption, and his purpose is to make himself known to individuals and groups, to the nations, such that he might be worshipped and that people would find their ultimate fulfillment in knowing God and thereby knowing who they are. So I've got this new book coming out called Christian Apologetics, And my colleague, Craig Blomberg, has a chapter in that book. I'm the principal author, but he wrote the chapter on the reliability of the New Testament. And then I also have chapters on the claims and credentials of Jesus, the divine claims of Jesus and why we should believe he was divine. have a chapter on the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That is extremely significant because... There's only one religion based on the resurrection of its divine founder, and that's Christianity. So everything hangs on the resurrection because Christ predicted it, 
and it is the evidence, the concluding evidence that he has done the work he came to do uh, to defeat Satan, to defeat sin and death, and so on. He atoned for our sins on the cross. He was buried, but the grave could not keep him. So he rose again as the first fruits of what will be the truth for everyone who puts their trust in him in the age to come. Paul discusses that in 1 Corinthians 15. And that should give us confidence if we're a follower of Christ, to not give up, not be discouraged. If Christ is risen and we are his follower, then our labor is not in vain, as Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. So I wrote this book. It's 750 pages. I could go on and on about this. But Christianity should be believed, not because it's a happy story, but because it's true and because it's meaningful and because it's something that relates to life. It holds up. You can ask the tough questions, and you don't have to bury your head in the sand to follow Christ. Where could we buy your book? You could buy it through InterVarsity Press on their website. You could buy it on Amazon. Amazon has a very good price. It's a long, hardback book, but they've got it, I think, for $26 and no shipping. I'm not sure what InterVarsity is selling it for. It's also available as a Google e-reader for, I think, about $18. So it's readily available online, whether or not Barnes & Noble will cover it or rather will sell it. I don't know. I hope so. I hope it will show up in those kind of bookstores, but I know that it will definitely be available online. We will definitely be buying that. Is it a resource similar to the Baker Encyclopedia of Apologetics? Something that large sounds like it's definitely going to be a resource. It'll be more than just a quick read. Both myself and people in this audience have read books on apologetics, but they were shorter, more concise. This, I mean, 750 pages, that sounds like it is very thorough. The subtitle is A Comprehensive Case for Biblical Faith. It would be different than Dr. Geisler's Encyclopedia of Apologetics in that that is made up of dozens and dozens and, I guess, hundreds, really, of entries. It's an encyclopedia. My book is not an encyclopedia. It has 28 chapters, discrete chapters, 26 of which I wrote. But both books would cover many of the same topics. I would cover some that Geisler does not cover and vice versa. But my book is a continuous read. That is, it's not a reference that you pull off the shelf and look up a particular topic. Although you could do that, obviously, mm -hmm. because it has three indexes. We have a name index, a subject index, and a scripture index. There's also a glossary, 52-page bibliography, probably about 2,000 footnotes. So you're well-armed with a lot of material there. But I'm hoping that many people will read the entire book because... It goes from A to B to C to D. It has a logical structure in terms of defending the Christian faith as true, rational, and pertinent for all of life. And it tries to be pretty thorough in so doing. I can't wait to read it. I would encourage you, if you're listening today, to look into Christian Apologetics by Dr. Groteis. You can buy that online. And I would also encourage you to check out some of his other books. I'll list those again, Christianity That Counts. Confronting the New Age, Deceived by the Light, on Jesus, on Pascal, Revealing the New Age Jesus, The Soul in Cyberspace, 
Truth Decay, Unmasking the New Age, In Defense of Natural Theology, and Jesus in an Age of Controversy. So check all those out along with his newest book, Christian Apologetics, if you get the chance. Dr. Grotheis, I know you're in a hurry. Before you leave, what last message would you leave with our audience this morning, particularly those that are searching or haven't yet come to a faith in Christ? This is the supremely important issue, really. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And we shouldn't suppress that. We shouldn't so distract ourselves that we don't think about it or we become bored with life and we give up on those sorts of ultimate issues. And from my 35 years of being a Christian and studying Christianity, comparing it with other religions and other worldviews, I am thoroughly convinced that the Christian message is not only meaningful, but true and rational and makes sense of life. It makes more sense of life, gives the deepest answers and the greatest resources for hope and encouragement and faith than any other worldview. So if people have not really investigated the truth claims of Christianity, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to pick up the New Testament, read one of the Gospels, talk to a Christian friend, perhaps read a Christian book, attend a Bible-believing church, visit it, talk to the pastor, something like that, and really investigate for yourself what these claims are and realize that it all centers on the person and the achievements of Jesus Christ, who is incomparable to anyone else in the history of the world, given his fulfillment of prophecies, his teachings, his miracles, his crucifixion, resurrection, his effect on world history. Uh, he's in a category all by himself, and so people should take that seriously. Jesus is not someone you can just say, oh yes, Jesus existed. He really calls us to respond to him, to do something with him. So I encourage everyone here, to everyone listening, if they don't know Christ as Savior, Lord, Master, to look into it. Be well informed. And if you have questions, pursue answers, because I believe that answers are available. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Where could our listeners find out more about you? Do you have a website? I do. It's rather inactive, but there's a lot of material on there. It's just my name, DougGrotheis.com. And if you do a Google search, you'll be able to find my blog and the material about me at Denver Seminary. You'll find a lot of things, actually, if you look for me on Google. And I'm very open and accepting Facebook friends, too. So if you would like to get in on that circle and your profile photo isn't too weird, then uh, you could be my friend on Facebook as well. Awesome. And just so our listeners know, Grotheis is spelt G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S. So when you Google his name, type in G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S. Thanks again so much for being on the show. We wish you all the best and hope your new book, Christian Apologetics, does great. And look forward to staying in touch in the future. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much, Dr. Grotheis. All right. Bye. Bye. Well... That was a phenomenal interview with Dr. Grotice of Denver Seminary. I'm so glad that he was able to be on the show with us today. I would encourage you today that if you don't know Jesus, he stands arms open, 
waiting to begin a relationship with you. God loves you personally with an everlasting love. He thinks about you constantly. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us also that we are each sinful and that we're separated from him. And that because of that sin, we cannot experience a relationship with him or the plan that he has for us. Jesus came as God and he lived in human flesh as a human being. He died on the cross, having lived a perfect life and paid for all of our sin. He rose from the dead, conquered death for you and I, so that anyone who trusts in him will be adopted, Scripture says, into his family. If that's you today, if you haven't yet made that decision to trust him, I would ask you to trust him and to simply open up your life to him and ask him to come in to forgive your sins and to be your Savior and Lord. Scripture tells us at that point he begins a relationship with you, that you truly are his child, and that you can be confident of an eternity with him in heaven. And you can also be confident that for the rest of your life, he'll be working in your life for a purpose that is greater than anything you could ever imagine on your own. If you have any more questions or comments, or if you'd like to check out some of the shows from the past, go to eternityimpact.blogspot.com. That's eternityimpact.blogspot.com, and you can get a lot more info there. We hope you'll listen in next week, and I hope you have a wonderful Sunday.